It is October the 5th. This is Andrew Lou Goldham. More than happy to be welcoming you to our first pod chat together here in our Sounds and Vision Season 2. I want to thank all of those who have come on over from our Season 1 and also want to just meet and greet once again and say hello to all the wonderful folks we met on Little Stephen's Underground Garage. We're happy to have you here with us again. We had worked out what our first show was going to be. And then a lady friend from Nashville wrote to me the other day and pointed out that a, a, a pod chat that existed that I did with a gentleman called Rob Schwartz, uh, who's the CEO of the advertising agency TBWA, Cheat and Day. A very creative person who um, is fascinated by all the aspects of the business and finds a way to create breakthrough platforms and campaigns that get results and build brands. If I started off with Mary Quant and her husband did the hustling in a small two-story building, Rob is the husband and the wife and it's a huge, big building in New York. It's the way things have gone. But it is the same game, which was why it was so good uh, to bring him here for you. Anyway, this lady from Nashville, Miss Leslie Ladd, wrote to me and said, you know, I remember that in your chat with Rob, there was a section about drummers, and in particular about Charlie Watts, the Rolling Stones drummer who passed recently. And she said, Have, you know, listen to it again. You'll really uh, love it. Okay, and I um, being, I think the word is bereft over the death, over the passing, because he's not dead, over the passing of uh, the moving on of Charlie Watts. I do not listen to myself <laughs> or other people. You know, listen to the birds and the trees and the river, you know, and um, I listened and the section came, it gave me life and form that I that is the reason for that Craig and I scrapped what we were going to do and sharing this with you today because the passing of Charlie Watts has been very difficult to speak about. It didn't come as a shock. Um, it came as a bolt, um, a blow. Because I've never had a bump in the road with Charlie Watts. Um, I have with others in that band. So therefore, you know, we had the words before and we had many other words and I listened to this and went, you know, this was just done slightly before this this COVID thing began. So it is almost like Twilight Zone thing going back to another zone. Because this is a take on life just before life changed. And Rob being the gentleman and the scholar that he is, we, we're doing another one to... We're going to catch up with each other over all the things that have gone on in the last couple of years to all of us. 
interesting rob works with nissan mcdonald's pepsi he, he works with everything where life has now changed so let's go back to before life changed and here's me with mr rob schwartz disruption yes i mean disruption i went oh i like this oh good yeah yeah, well, we've uh, we built a business on it. No wonder I like it. <laughs> you know, That's uh, right. We've turned der- uh, disruption into a remuneration. <laughs> very good. Very Our good. chairman, uh, a French a Frenchman named Jean-Marie Drew, um, loved advertising. So you have to go back to kind of the 1980s. And uh, you have this Frenchman who is loving advertising. And like a lot of French people, as you know, they'll say, oh, I love this. And then they say, but Wait. Why? Why do I love this? Uh-huh. And he uh, reverse engineered what great advertising was. And uh, once he had that formula, he said, hey, it's uh, a defiance of convention. And I'll give you an example in a second. Yeah. It's a defiance of convention that meets the vision. And to break that convention, to get to that vision, we have to disrupt. It's very intuitive. Okay. It's super intuitive. So, totally. Super intuitive. <clears throat> but – we turned it into a methodology. Yeah. So the example for him was, uh, again, back in the 80s, every coffee company sold the beans. These are our beans. These are our Arabica beans. These are our beans from this provenance, from, from Colombia, from, right. where, from, from, right. from wherever. The beans, the beans, the beans. And one day he saw a commercial for Folgers. And again, he's in France. It's not like it was, you know, he was seeing tons of Folgers work. Uh-huh. But one day he sees this commercial. And the whole premise of the commercial was not about the beans, but it was about mornings. And he said, you know, of course, it was right. disruption. The convention was beans, but the disruption was mornings. Okay. The experience. Yep. And suddenly he said, wow, that's how Folgers then became the number one coffee at the time because uh, they were defying the convention. That's good. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that's uh, – we've turned into a methodology. We've got technology. Well, I, I, yeah. I mean, once upon a time in my early days in Colombia, when one had a lot of time, I, I wanted to do a water because, you know, there's very, there's very good water in Colombia. Right. But borrowing from Schweppes, I wanted to do shh as if – and the shh was going to hint that there might be some cocaine in it. <laughs> You know, that, that was at a time when, you know, everybody who was taking cocaine, which was basically a lot of the world and a certain, a certain the, I mean, a photography agency went, I remember a particular time when photographs became art. Sure. And that was driven by a lot of well-dressed people with sweaty hands. <laughs> which is pretty much what advertising people are. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay. That's, yeah. Well... You know, but I think if you look at um, you know your your former life, uh, you know, as, as part of the Stones, uh, I mean, they they were a disruption. That there was uh, entertainers that you could take home to mom, and having the instinct to go, would you let your daughter date a Rolling Stone? This right. is this is a classic oh, disruption. Totally. Yes, you know, I, I mean, one of the best ones. I do not know where I borrowed this idea from because I always think it's the second person with an idea that usually scores. Right. Right. I mean, that's. Yeah. You know, right, that's been my marker, right? <laughs> you know, but I still don't know. I know where I got the sleeve notes idea you know, because I was with somebody yesterday who's going, oh, yeah, but I want to know who Andrew Golden was because he got to write these sleeve notes. Mm. I said, I'll tell you. The first Bob Dylan record mm. that had sleeve notes by the jazz guy, Nat Hentoff, because that was a disruption 
in that normally a folk singer, this is 62, 63, did not warrant being taken seriously mm. being assessed by someone who has been assessing Armand Jamal, Thelonious Monk. Art. Yeah, good jazz suits. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, raglan sleeves on Miles Davis. And so to see all this stuff on Bob Dylan, it was moving, you know, folk music, which was all about, you either knew the artist or you didn't. Right. But you were being invited to take him seriously. Right. And... Then when I coupled that with my love of Anthony Burgess, yes. I was then able to do those sleeve notes. But the first album, as you know, in England, had no title. It was just their faces. Right. I mean, it had it down the spine of the record. But my rationale was, okay, um, I think it's, it's never been done before as regards all these the, the, this particular market in yeah. England. But it will make the record company take us seriously too. Yeah. Because it, it, you're, you're, okay, inside the building, you've got a, a faction going, how dare they? Yeah. It's their first album. And this manager is insisting that it, their name is not on it. Right. I mean, that's a, I mean what a disruption. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of your uh, your asterisk story, you know. I mean, yeah, uh, exactly. You know that the roll in, yeah. to yeah, don't abbreviate greatness. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> right. amazing. Yeah. You know? but I think what you were doing instinctively, uh, we have turned into a methodology for on behalf of many brands, whether it's Apple or, or Gatorade or uh, Michelin. I mean, you name it, Nissan. I mean, we are trying to find ways to disrupt and it's harder and harder because as we're disrupting guess what other people are disrupting so you're in this almost cacophony of disruption so how yep. do you stand out from there that's that's the challenge today but how do you i mean coming from a time when i didn't have to pass the word on coming to a time where now um i mean you have to have a unit of people to deliver something yeah I can't get my you – I know you know why because you're smiling. But I don't know how to get my mind around getting other minds on the same – to me, because to me, they're either – can you train them? They're either there or they're yeah. not. Yeah, I, I guess uh, you were, I guess, dealing and you, you continue to deal with a level of talent – uh, that not everybody's blessed with, you know. So there's a certain, um, you know, you had, you know, five guys, they were all really good. Yeah. You work in an agency of uh, 200 people, maybe, uh, I don't know, 30% are kind of uh, the nucleus of, of really great. But you have 70% that is willing to learn. And I think if you can create uh, uh, an environment where they can learn, an environment where you can tolerate some some failure and you have some uh, systems on something intuitive like disruption, you have a good shot of getting the 70% to, to at least produce like the 30%. But, but how do you help the 70% get there? I mean, I think the first part of it is uh, you have to show them. You have to show them what great things are. You uh -huh. have to remind – again, great, it, good. It, it, it reminds yes. me of, again, your world a little bit of what I know of it, which is, hey, guys, you have to write your own songs. Yep. Look at these guys over here, you know, yes. John and Paul. They've written some songs. Yeah. I think you guys, you know, should yes. get away from North Michigan Avenue for 10 exactly. minutes exactly. and write something. Yeah. But I think the guys probably had to go, oh, they wrote that. That wasn't something Muddy Waters did. Right. That's something these right. two guys did. Oh, we can do that. Well, actually, it was more direct than that. It was going, listen, you're going to think, <laughs> you were going to run out of R&B songs soon. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the, all the nuggets have gone. And people we regard as rubbish are recording these nuggets and having hits with them. So 
you better write or we're going to be like an airplane without a parachute. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going down. I mean, in, in your Mary Quant world, uh, did she have a, an ability to scale? Was it That was Alexander's job. Oh, okay. She didn't play the dictator. He did. Mm. Um, and somebody has to. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I went last August um, to see uh, Roger Waters in uh, uh, Nashville. Mm. Actually, it was a guy, a guy. The great thing about doing the all the radio shows, all the years I did for Stephen Van Zandt, was it was a completely new experience of making friends who I never met. Hmm. And then eventually I would start having dialogues. If one of them was a dentist, I'd say, can I send my wife's x-rays up because I'm not sure about this? And there would be like little things like that. And eventually one of these guys in Nashville wrote to me and said, it was January. He said, look, we're buying tickets for Roger Waters in August. If you come, you come. I'm going to have no trouble selling them. Mm-hmm. So around July, I said to Esther, you want to go to Nashville on the way to <laughs> Vancouver? Yes. And smallest anti-Jewish defamation league I've ever seen <laughs> outside. <laughs> you know. But I wanted to see a dictator, and he is a dictator, mm. Roger Waters. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, the, the band flow, how mm. it flows off him. Mm. It, it, I mean, apart from all the incredible... Um, I think it would help if I knew the song. I don't really don't know the songs. Right. I was never into Pink Floyd because they were a disruption. Yeah, yeah. For the very simple, but I didn't like the disruption. They were a disruption in England in the same way that the band were in America, mm. that suddenly average looking people. Mm. So the star thing got changed oh, and shifted. You know, yeah. 1960, I mean, the year of those two band albums, were they? Think about it. Music from Big Pink? Yeah. And Pink Sorry, Floyd. Roger, we're leaving you alone now. <laughs> and Pink you. Floyd. It, yeah. was a, it was a moment of pinkness. Yeah, there you are. Right. Yeah. But yeah, oh, that's interesting. And, and also the, uh, the long format of Pink Floyd. Yeah. You know, you living in a world of under three minutes, then right. living in a world of an entire album side. Totally. Yeah, well, that is a different change because then so you, you were faced with the question of marketing, mm. like about – Wait a minute, we haven't got a hit single. Or even if we have a hit single, we possibly dare not say it's a hit single because that will offend the new altruistic youth that right. in England was affected by this and America was affected by the onset of, of from Martin Luther King to the, uh, I mean, from civil rights to Vietnam. Mm. No, you know, suddenly golden pop was no, no, mm. you know, like, unless it's by an American. I mean, it was still the same thing. I mean, the Doors singles or. Buffalo Springfield, but the band man was was a um, was a. I mean, yeah, and, and with uh, Pink Floyd, but Rod, the wars they've had yeah. amongst themselves over money, hmm. you know, um, <laughs> follow the money. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but but on your point on star making, I think that's interesting. I mean, do you feel like now we're kind of back in a star making mode versus the music having? The power. I mean, I, don't, I just don't feel the music as much. But I, but I know the stars. I mean, I I, we're not twelve years old, are we? Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> you know, no. I think that makes a difference. I pants at a twelve years old. Well, yeah, you are. <laughs> Good for you. Okay, they will come around. Um, I mean, I went in, in Montreal. I, I, I uh, a few months ago, I got there and I looked around, and there was this English guy I'd never heard of called Tom Mish, M I S C H, twenty-two year old, looked like a footballer, and I don't know why, but I was pulled towards it, playing in a small little theatre, probably uh, 600 people. Eight, something. He, he, I knew I was onto a good thing when they moved the theatre from a 300 to a 600 just on the tickets they'd sold. Wow. 
you know, because the hardest thing in music is somebody now, as opposed to 20 or 25 years ago, could be selling out even the Royal Albert Hall or Radio City Music Hall. And you don't, you won't have necessarily heard of them or know who they are if they're not a part of your life. Right. Whereas once right. upon a time, they weren't part of your life, but you still knew who, oh, yeah, I know who Herb Alpert is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. You know. No, I just remember my grandfather, you know, that Mickey Jagger, you know. He, oh, yes. <laughs> he, yeah. It wasn't part of his world, you know. Right. He was a Sinatra guy, but, uh, or a Tommy Dorsey guy. Have but you read he, the book um, by Sinatra's last manager? By Elliot uh, Weissman. It's uh, the kind of book that to the 70% of your staff that we were talking mm. about, you should say, you've got to read this. Mm. Because forget the man's language. He came out of that whole Westchester mob thing, right. you know, and he, I think he almost got the job as uh, compensation when he came out of jail. Right. But he was a good manager. You can mm. tell from the book, you've got to read this, mm. because the information, even though it's to do with Sinatra, Liza Minnelli, people, Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet mm. and things like that, it's the fundamentals, mm. you know. Interesting. Mm. And boy, this guy, he took more crap than I did. <laughs> yeah. But he was with Frank, you know, and yeah. he was in love. And, uh, you know, in the book that, um, that I've nearly finished, um, Aftermath, um, I say that the best people I worked with, artists, hustled me mm. as much as I hustled them. Interesting. Yeah. And I've only come to that. You know, that's a, a new realization mm. with the time. And do you think that, that what, why? Is that their ambition? That's why, why did they hustle, you know? Well, they never admitted they were of ambitious course, at that time. You know, um, <laughs> I, th I think you know what sets you apart. And therefore, if you decide to go with somebody, you better get the best out of them. You can't coast. Right. Or you can't let them coast. You can't, you know, you will pick, like they picked me, that I was slightly younger than the, the, uh, the most of them and that they knew I would be totally devoted to them right. because I didn't, uh, unlike, say, one of the first partners I had, I didn't come in with five other clients. Mm -hmm. But that, um, and in the same way, they, they, in a strange way, they were already men. Mm -hmm. You know, there's certain people I'm sure that you meet that, okay, we won't go into a Shirley MacLaine thing of the lives before or the lives to come, mm. but there is an element yeah. of that. And some of them have had too many lives already, like Brian Jones. Yeah. But if I look back on it and go, I mean, if, if you look at the relationships you've had in your work and mm. you go, well, you know, that one was great until the moment it wasn't. Right. But a lot of the other ones that were successful, they were messy. Yeah, yeah. There was nothing messy about the Rolling Stones. Well, you know, when you said that they, they wanted you, there's this uh, management theory that A players want to work with A players. And when an A player has to suffer a B or a C player, mm -hmm. they get completely despondent, alienated, and they wind up leaving. And they may have seen the A player, yep. you know, that you were you were kindred spirits in your uh, kind of yes, you know, level of ambition and uh, you know, quest for greatness. Yeah, uh, and also what we liked. Yeah, you know, mm. that's a unifying factor because, I mean, Keith Richards put it in one of the books, um, maybe the one he wrote. <laughs> um, <laughs> he said, "Hey, everything was great with Andrew while we liked the same things." Yeah, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, and what like the same music and the same hits. But then when I ran into trouble with uh, 
the idea of Pink Floyd. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't handle... Sorry, Roger, we're back again. Um, <laughs> I couldn't handle... Wait a minute. Is the new appeal going to be that for the audience... And this is coming back to what you asked me about today. Yeah. Like, is the new appeal... Okay, it could be me on stage, except for the fact that it's not. That person, never mind how they play or anything, but in terms of identity. Right. Nobody's going to go look at Mick Jagger or Michael Jackson and go, that could be me. Right. But the fluency of Roger Waters was very interesting. He played the bass like a drummer. Hmm. The drummer played the frills around him. Like fills almost. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Uh, Roger Waters, he held it down. Hmm. Everything else, you know, he was the meat. Everybody else was the vegetables. Hmm. And that's almost the opposite to the bottom end being the drums and the bass. Right. You know, I mean, he, gave, he didn't leave any room for the drummer to lead. Yeah. He led. Yeah. So I got what I wanted to see. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, I mean, how would you relate that to uh, Charlie Watts? Because it's often been said that Charlie follows... Uh, you know what 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 Keith is doing? Is, is it? I don't believe he does. No. Charlie follows his dream, and his dream happens to be jazz. And I mean, I got a great idea of what Charlie Watts was. I went about ten or twelve years ago here to see a very questionable event, which was Luden Wainwright redoing Judy Garland's uh, live in Carnegie Hall. Wow! I'm now, not even sure on paper I'd be. <laughs> David Bowie went. So, oh, yeah? I mean, I didn't okay. feel... I went, oh, okay. it's worth the risk, you know. And then, no, if it, it was... Um, okay, but I didn't like Judy Garland, like right. Carnegie Hall, but I will admit to it being a very big event, yeah. Yeah. right? Uh, I did meet her, too. You know, I mean, it was like meeting Edith Piaf. Right. You know, a complete broken sparrow. Right. You know, but she commanded... Oh, yeah. you know, she and was, an icon. She was, you know, yes, an icon. exactly. Okay, so you got Luden Wayne, Wainwright who thinks he's an icon. Like he did, he came out in a cowboy suit or something like that. But um, but he did the album mm. per se, but with a band the same size. So it was so great. Uh, and then the old jazz guitarist, and to see mm. where the drums, they're like the, a fort in the middle of the desert. Yeah. And Charlie once later in the 80s when we were all shall we say having problems adjusting <laughs> said i don't care what they play i'm just listening to myself <laughs> interesting now, the end result of that but if you look at, at the bands from that time okay there the rest of the stones what makes their love of the blues in the beginning or the, and their love of pop let's get yeah. used to it okay <laughs> you know i'm sorry um is they've got to follow him mm. interesting because if you take the drum parts on under my thumb or that you've got to allow for him and the special eras he takes you into right and in the same way the i i had okay in about 1982 or three do you remember the the band it's not even calling them a band let's call them a group duran duran of course right with the yachts and, the, <laughs> and all this well before the yachts and the videos and mtv which was another yeah disruption and without question without question i mean it actually united the third world with america and tastes became 
one. We learned what we, we learned where Rio was. Thank you to Duran Duran. Right, <laughs> and you know that Don Johnson was the only one without socks. <laughs> right, know. but uh, the head of EMI at that time, I was in London mm. and said, "I want you to come and see this band. They they were from Manchester or Birmingham. Mm. They're playing their first gig in London, and the first single is going to be on the charts next week. Mm. So it's going to be a good night, right?" They were incredible live. Oh, really? Yeah, I know. You see, you're saying, oh, really? Yeah, I've never because seen them. Because you never, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying they are now. Yeah, no, no, I, just no. Have been, I would never think of but them. The, yeah. Because the drummer was completely different from all these shop window models that yeah, they yeah. were, and he was like a road worker. Wow. Hmm. Totally, totally the opposite, the same way that Keith Moon, in many ways, was so opposite to uh, the rest of The Who. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm very glad I saw that because later when the, with the records and the electronics came in mm. and the videos came in, you wouldn't be able to say to people, oh, Duran Duran were a great band live. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, huh. yeah my dream is, I, I wish I could remember his name now, but my dream is to be the drummer in that piece of film where Dave Brubeck does Take Five. Oh, <laughs> Joe Morello. Joe Morello. That okay. is, he is, very he is my spirit animal. That's my dream. I, I want to be a jazz drummer. Really? Yeah. Well, there you go. That was a delight. Um, we're going to be uh, coming into COVID with a... Well, no, I think we're going to be doing uh, part two of Mr. Schwartz. And we're also going to be doing um, Where Are We Now? And we'll probably play the David Bowie song, one of my favorites, because Rob and I are going to do Where Are We Now? We know where you are. We hope that you will stay with us and share this bounty. God bless you, your own particular God. And they can be plural. Yeah, you know, it could be Duran Duran. And just remember, this show will be in your feed every Tuesday, every Tuesday for the very next 10 weeks. I want to thank Stephen Van Zandt and Dan Neer for the beginning. Craig Snyder for the now. Dr. James Laney, be careful of the careless word and bless yourself. Then you will be able to bless others. Thank you for being with us today. Mm-hmm.